Hello, and welcome to another Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I am Noah Drake, uh, lead Telstra Americas, and I am the guest for today. Noah, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Good to good to see you. Good to good to have you aboard. Yeah, no, appreciate you guys for having me on. I'm I'm happy to chat through all things subsidy and Telstra today. So pretty excited for the conversation. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I before we get into that, I, I just a, um, a a contrast of styles question. Um, you're sure. you were formerly at uh, uh, Zayo or Zayo. I, I changed my yeah. pronunciation as as, <laughs> uh, as the years go on. Um, so that was like uh, acquisitive build quick fiber build outs, you know, bandwidth chasing the enterprise market hard uh, in the in the Americas. Now you're at almost the exact opposite in carrier terms in terms of like, uh, well established global, and, you know, primarily large enterprise subsea uh, kind of connectivity. Um, So uh, it inherent in my question is, what stays the same and what changes as far as your, uh, uh, you know, your, your, your management goes, uh, when you're, when you're moving from, uh, you know, between operators like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's probably more similarities there than maybe meets the eye. Uh, so when you look at Telstra, yes, very much an incumbent, you know, a very, very large company, one of the top, uh, companies in Australia, and we, we certainly have that reputation. Um, however, in the Americas, uh, Canada, North America, you know, Latin America, we've we've actually been more of a challenger. So mm-hmm. it does pull from some of that entrepreneurial startup type of style that I've picked up from my time at Zao. So I do think that there's some overlap there, and that's certainly how you know I approach the team, and I think you know our team approaches approaches the market. So. Definitely some overlap there that I would say is 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 great because that's the type of environment that I just love to operate in and, and thrive in. So I'm really excited about you know kind of where we're at right now. Excellent, um, Kelsey. It's it, we're we're not on our, our usual podcast recording system. So if you, uh, you uh, give me a give me a, a ping on uh, Microsoft <laughs> or a thumbs up or something yeah. if you <laughs> if you want to jump in. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you quickly. Uh, 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 Noah, like where um, uh, where Telstra Americas is in terms of you know it's the competitive set uh, uh, for the uh, for the Americas market. Sure. So yeah, I mean Telstra Americas is really split into two functions from a market perspective. So we've got and it's it's almost equally split. So we've got fifty percent of our business, which is traditional wholesale, so selling to those carriers you know, those regional carriers here that need global connectivity. Um, and that's been a really successful business for us and historically has been as well. And then there's the second half, which is the true kind of enterprise. And, and you know, Phil, you touched on it earlier. It is certainly the large enterprises, but it's also the smaller, uh, I wouldn't say SMB, but call it mid-market, as well as some of those kind of scale-ups, you know, the big tech scale-ups that are, that are emerging in, into kind of that middle to large market space. Um, and that's uh, that's actually our fastest growing component of the business, and it's an, it's 50% of our business right now. So we're seeing a lot of uh, of movement in that area, a lot of growth in that area, and good things come out of that come out of that, particularly around emerging technologies. Um, so that's kind of how we're set up today, and we we split our organization to to kind of 
um, attack both of those verticals. Mm -hmm. And so on the topic of uh, emerging technologies, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, new technologies you're using for your subsea cable system and also just uh, a little background on how big that um, network is and, and kind of what regions that you're operating in? Sure. So this is probably what we're most widely known for as Telstra International and, and probably to the global community. <clears throat> I would say that, you know, it's even beyond argument that we're the foremost carrier of subsea connectivity, certainly in Asia. We've got 400,000 plus kilometers of cable in the water, and we're you know adding pretty much every you know couple of years. The most recent one that we just uh, brought online as part of the consortium was Southern Cross Next, which is the most direct route from Sydney to Los Angeles. Um, and to your point about technology. We've actually got a straight shot now um, where before we had to, to land in places like Hawaii because the technology just doesn't support the distance that you have to travel. I mean, if you take a flight from, from LA and you go to Asia or San Francisco and you go to Asia, I mean, I'm sure people can relate. Even just on a plane, it feels like that, that plane dot just takes forever to move, right? You're looking at 15-hour flights and, and we have to lay all of that in the water. So. Um, it really wasn't possible before kind of the recent optical technology that allows us to, to create better latency, which ultimately results in better performance for our customers. Um, and then I'd say one more follow-up on that, you know, in terms of, it's not just uh, laying the cable in the water, but it's, it's kind of what do you put over the top of that? And so you know, our position as a market leader in Asia and Trans-Pacific has really given us the ability to um, accelerate our IP network and, and the the internet community that has responded and embraced that. You know, we we take about a third of the world's internet traffic between the U.S. and Asia as well over our network. So, um, you know, definitely a marker market leader in that regard as well. Mm -hmm. And is it is it challenging to um, you know up apply those new technologies to your subsea cables while also balancing the fact that, I mean, I think a lot of them have to be there for what, like 25, 30 years. So, so how do you ensure that you're, um, I don't love the phrase future proofing, but you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thinking, thinking ahead for uh, future bandwidth demands. Yeah. So I mean, she said future proof. I got bingo. Right here. <laughs> yeah. That's right yeah, take, take a sip of coffee. If you're yeah. listening. <laughs> there you go. I know I'll probably throw a few more cliches in there. So keep out. Like I don't love the phrase, but I don't know. It's, it's just like, you know, it's, it's good. It, it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's true. We do need to look to future proof the network. And I know that that's term, you know, bit, bit overused maybe or played out um, in, in today's, in today's world, but it kind of is the best way to describe what's happening. You know, if you look at the systems that there's a few systems that are actually nearing end of life and nearing retirement, and they were built, you know, 20 years ago, and they're still carrying some of the most critical traffic from the world's biggest companies today. And those companies are completely dependent in many cases on them and still buying capacity. You know, we have, we have cable systems that have end of life of 23, 24, and we have customers that are, that are trying to buy, you know, hundreds of gigs of capacity on those cables. And we're having to say, look, we're actually probably going to end of life this, you know, but they're like, well, we still need it. Right. So we have to be able to create systems that we feel like can support those demands as long as we can. And there are, there are ways to extend the life of cable systems, but it becomes really, it becomes really costly. And sometimes it's not uh, incredibly reliable. So, 
you know, we always have to be weighing that. The good news is, is when you look at technology, um, you know, at the rate of, of advancement, uh, you know, we are, I would say, getting better and better at this. We're kind of honing our craft. And, um, you know, there's really only so much that you can um, push through a certain certain fiber. It's, it's all upon the optical gear. So as that gets better, you know, we'll be able to we'll be able to create more bandwidth, which will result in a better experience for our customers and more availability. Right now, we're kind of in this in this moment in time where there's actually uh, for the first time in, in a while, there's been a shortage of, of capacity going across the Pacific, which is which is a bit of a atypical situation. Typically, bandwidth is commoditized, meaning we're always creating more of it. And so co co uh, companies are consuming it and it's becoming less costly. But in fact, in this environment, it's becoming a, it's a scarce resource because with some of the landing issues for, for different cable systems that were projected to come online that have not really come to fruition, um, you know, it, it's kind of like a natural resource at this point where there's only so much available. And so the price is actually, and the cost is actually going up to consume this. So it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon that we've experienced over these last couple of years. How does the, um, uh, how much of your job uh, is, is related to network planning? Because I was, because of the difficulty and the maintenance cycles of sub C and also the fact that capacity, you know, is, growing unchecked right now <laughs> or you know the, the need i guess the bandwidth need um the, the, those seem like two uh you know two problems on a collision course or maybe a problem and an opportunity on a collision course so i'm curious how that sort of uh applies to to your role and 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 how how much uh you know you guys change your plans as you go well it's hugely important and we're fortunate that we have some of the best people in the business doing it. They've been doing it for decades. Um, and so we get a lot of help, but it's something that we have to be very prescriptive about and, and, and diligent in that cycle, because really as it's, it's, it's a 12 month cycle, but you look at the, the demand planning in almost six months increments that then kind of form that horizon. So, it's, it's a fluid or almost like a moving average, right? You, you can't ever be stagnant because it's always shifting and changing. Some of our biggest customers do demand planning really, really well from a bandwidth consumption perspective. And I'm sure you can guess what those types of companies are, but they're, they're very transparent with us as they look through their planning cycle, which helps us inform. The difficulty comes in with kind of the, the unknown companies that are going to be huge in the, you know, in the next X amount of years. So you think, you know, Uber circa 2007, right? I mean, who would have thought at that moment in five years, how much they would need? Um, it's, it's those type of companies that really can throw a wrench in your, in your demand planning. But those are the most exciting companies, in my opinion, because those are the companies that are, you know, they're creating ideas that are, that are changing the world. And, and they're the ones that are going to be you know, really pushing the ball forward as far as what the future looks like in, in, in terms of networking, how we support that on the back end. And uh, I was reading um, an article uh, where you were interviewed recently and you mentioned Telstra Octagon and was curious to hear more about what that is. It looks like it was maybe launched in um, 2020. So uh, how does that fit in with your um, subsea cable strategies and, and maybe perhaps help with um, expansion in new regions as well? Yeah, so so the Octagon is an, is an interesting um, product 
that it's been around for a few years now, but really the goal of the Octagon is to serve our financial services community. So the banks, um, the, the, the prop shops, uh, hedge funds, trading firms, like those are the, those, that's the community that finds the Octagon particularly interesting. And the reason they, they find it interesting is it's, it's basically structured to create the lowest latency path between the main uh, exchanges of liquidity around around the world, primarily in Asia and Asia to US, but but um, you know kind of we're, we're always looking globally, and we have built out um, a very strong kind of market presence intra Asia in particular. So you think of things like um, Hong Kong, Singapore, Tokyo, Chicago at CME, um, Nasdaq. Uh, NYSE, I mean, those are the exchanges that we're looking to connect our customers to. And because we own or have ownership in some of these subsystems, we have an advantage over our competitors because we have kind of control end to end of the network. Um, and so we can we can build out, you know, the straightest line, if you will, or the lowest latency path. A good movie, The Hummingbird Project, I mean, it's kind of like that. I know that, you know, they, they've, they've dramatized it a little bit, but it, it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely a high stakes game. And if you, you know, because milliseconds can mean millions, right? Um, and it's it's interesting because even if you get market, market leadership, you can't sit on that and, and rest on your laurels. There's always a competitor looking to get that slight edge, you know, because even if it's a, a couple mics, a couple microseconds uh, faster than, it, you know, for some of these algorithms and some of these quant traders, that you know that your the, the second place might as well be last place right so there there's certain and that's a very particular subset of customers um there's obviously other use cases for it but the octagon looks to serve that financial community in that way um and as we you know get more sophisticated in our technologies you know there's other things that you can incorporate like wireless you know maybe in the future even some satellite um to optimize this and then the last thing i'll say about that is um as crypto, over the last call 18 months, um, crypto in general, um, there's a bit of a crypto winter that we're kind of experiencing, but certainly uh, when it was really hot, there was a lot of volatility. There always is a lot of volatility in crypto. So the trading firms have, have seen uh, that to be a pretty lucrative space to participate in. And so now they're looking at, okay, how do we apply these same type of principles to to trading crypto. And um, it's a bit of a different concept because some of the matching engines are actually held on, in the public cloud environment. So you have to look at it a bit differently. Um, but but that's something that we're, we're really interested in um, just like, you know, just like our customers are. So it'd be like network availability, latency, and then, um, you know, matching that up to various trades as they're sort of, as they're being written and executed almost instantly. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Exactly. Um, and then you get paid in regular dollars though, right? <laughs> yes. That. <laughs> At this point in time, we still get paid in regular dollars. Yes. Um, well, we, or, or this would have been the great time for you to launch uh, Drake coin or whatever. You could have... There you go. I'm minting that soon. You guys could be our, the first, the first buyers on that one. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been so funny. Um, uh, and also, I don't know. Speaking of like me not knowing where to go with an interview, um, I, the uh, I have a, another question about your job since it's a, a relatively uh, new post for you. It, 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 sure. I'm, I'm very curious about you know the um the folks who have to manage large you know uh large numbers of people in the telco industry because mm -hmm. we've always been in kind of a 
uh, or the, the, the industry's always been kind of behind the, the curve in terms of, uh, you know, as a mostly older workforce that has, you know, a particular technology uh, legacy and that sort of thing. Um, and then we're in this kind of weird space in North America generally where um, the labor market isn't as great as it usually is. So um, do you have any concerns about uh, talent acquisition and sort of trying to uh, make sure that you keep the right roles filled with the right people? Yeah, I mean, this in general is something that I'm very, very passionate about. I think the the telco industry, you know, its heyday was certainly the right before you know the dot com, and and probably even shortly thereafter, there was still a lot of high caliber talent. Um, but since then, it's 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 definitely trickled off, and I think that the younger generations, and you know, and this is again, this is a very broad statement, so not not true for everybody, but maybe more interested in the application part of it than the actual infrastructure. Um, and so for me, I'm trying to bring back you know, the, the cool factor, if you will, of the, the actual, you know, the infrastructure, the communications infrastructure and what it enables. And I think a lot of that is just awareness. Um, you know, we, we have folks that we recently hired, you know, they're new to the industry that were just like, yeah, wow, I never even really knew how the internet worked or what, it, it just seems like magic, right? You pick up your phone, you go on TikTok and you just expect it to work or you need to send an email or, or, or catch a ride or, order food and you just expect it to work. And, and those, those applications are the things that people actually think about. Um, and so we're just trying to promote awareness within kind of the emerging job market seekers, those folks that you know have degrees in engineering, but not even just that. I mean, people who are, are, are in business or finance or marketing, I mean, we need talent all over. And it's not just for Telstra, this is an industry-wide thing. So we're actually collaborating with our, our partners and competitors, you know, it's a very interesting industry and not everyone can be all things to all people in telecom. And since we recognize that we often partners with our competitors in, in, in many cases. So this is one uh, moment in time where we're all recognizing that if, if we don't replenish the workforce, you know, we may age out of this thing. Um, and it's, it's critical that we have young, strong minds that are like willing to bring the, the, the you know, kind of then pass the baton, right? Because to my point earlier about technology, we need to continue to see advancements there. Um, otherwise, we won't have the support system required to be able to, uh, you know, kind of propel the, the the application layer forward. So, some of the things that we're doing, you know, uh, uh, conference awareness, trying to bring uh, multiple uh, kind of call it emerging talent into some of those things that 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 maybe they weren't aware of. So like, for example, we have a, a conference in Hawaii every year. It's called uh, Pacific Telecoms. I'm sure you guys are aware of it. Uh, we're, we're actually partnering with a, a select group of individuals that again, our partners and competitors sometimes to bring their young talent in as well as our young talent in. And we're gonna all, uh, we're gonna have a separate kind of body of work for them while they're at that conference. They may have not even had the chance to attend the conference, but they kind of won like a golden ticket, right? Due to, due to performance to get there and experience it. It's in Hawaii in January, you know, everybody kind of wants to be there. So it's it's things like that that I think will, you know, pique people's interest versus just like, you know, uh, this is just a bunch of old old people that are, you know, talking about picking up telephones and laying copper wires. I mean, we, it needs to be reframed. And that's what I'm what I'm trying to do and working with people to do. And there's people like me out there in the industry that are working on it too. 
Yeah, that, that's good to hear. Um, Kelsey just, I, mean, I don't know how she did this, but she just submitted a travel request uh, to go to that conference already. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, Amazing. Uh, you said it was in Hawaii, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Honolulu. Yeah. Yeah. If, if okay. I already booked my flight. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so fast. Oh, E-commerce moves so quickly now. <laughs> there you go. I can go on another diatribe there, Kelsey, to give you more time. She might actually be packed by the time you're done. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, no, we'll, we'll continue to monitor that too, because I, I do believe that one of the, it's, it's very interesting. The only time um, I, I meet grad students in this industry tends to be when I see them uh, presenting their papers at OFC, the optical fiber conference. And they're talking about, you know, all these cool things they're thinking about doing with 800 gig and, you know, so on and so forth. And right. then I, I try to reconnect with them when they get in the industry and I'm like, okay, so where'd you end up? And like, they're all at Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, Google offers this Google, right? It's the name yeah. and you, you have the community and you're, you're a Googler and you know, that's hard to compete with. It really yeah. is. But yeah. we have, we, we have to be creative because we have to, we have to be entrepreneurial as well. If we're not going to be the 800 pound gorilla, then how do we attract, you know, this, this same talent? And we just have to think outside of the box a little bit more on it, but you know, I think there's hope. I really do. I yeah. think people, once the, the awareness is key and once people get in, especially international, everyone wants to do business internationally, right? So we lean on that pretty hard. It's like, yeah. you know, do you want to see what business is like in Singapore and Australia and Hong, you know, those are cool places that people, especially here in the States, you know, they see maybe on the TV, but they don't get to experience. And so we provide that opportunity too, you know, that they may yeah. not have had. I think that's a good, uh, yeah, it's a good thing, but you're right. The industry problem is so interesting in that from that dynamic. But I also think that like, but back to what telcos do well, like they are constantly, you know, especially, you know, international subsea uh, uh, carriers, they're constantly solving some of the most challenging engineering problems on earth. And, yeah. and we're yeah. all just taking it for granted every day, <laughs> you know, because everything exactly. works. Um, yeah. Let's see. I, I think we could, uh, we, we'll leave it there for now because it, it, it'll be a, uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have more, uh, I guess, questions about, you know, the the technology and stuff as more announcements are made and, um, uh, you know, about your network and where things are going. But uh, thanks so much for your time today. It was great to meet you and uh, uh, great to talk. Yeah, no, appreciate it, Phil. And Kelsey, it's, it's been great to, to chat with you guys a little bit today. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank uh, you so much. Aloha, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to go Hawaii. catch a flight. So yeah, yeah. Right. see y'all later. <laughs> Round two. There we go.